Hey everyone, Pastor Eric here. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, sadly, I am on video, which means we're not together today, uh, but we're gonna make the best of it. And I'm gonna walk us through the final message in our Jonah message series. Uh, but before I do that, I just wanna make a few comments uh, on the recent coronavirus. If you're like me, it's definitely caused some fear. Uh, I've never been in a position like this before, and I assume that you haven't either. And for me, as I've been reflecting on what's going on, uh, for me, I I know I have a choice, and I want to challenge you with this choice as well. And as cliche as it sounds, it's true. We either, at this time, we uh, abandon all of our faith in God and put it in something else, or we double down and we really trust in who God is and his character. We remember uh, what scripture says over 365 times it tells us to trust or do not fear. We get a chance to do that, not just as Christ followers, but as a church. Some of the ways that we'll know if we're truly trusting God in this situation is how are we treating others who may be looking at this a little bit differently? Maybe someone on the other political side of things or someone who may be freaking out. Are we showing empathy? Are we showing kindness? Are we helping people who are scared in this situation? Let's not fear. Let's put our trust in God and help other people put their trust in God as well. We have that opportunity. Can we please really look at God and not this situation? He will help us through this over the next few weeks. Speaking of the next few weeks, I wish I had a crystal ball to tell you what's going to be happening at our church, but I don't. Just like I don't know what's happening in schools and different events going on. It's pretty crazy. But I want you to know our senior leadership team is on top of it. We've been uh, researching, we've been listening, we've been asking God, all those things together to ask what's best for the church. And we will always do what's best for the church in accordance to what Jesus is telling us. And so things may change over the next few weeks. If you're uh, wondering about anything, you can check us out on social media. You can call our offices. Uh, We're here for you and we will keep you up to date with whatever is going on. Finally, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to those who are taking Jesus seriously at this time. Thank you to those uh, who love the chapel. Thank you to those specifically uh, who are givers, who help uh, make everything happen inside and outside the walls. We're so grateful for you. And we know that generosity changes everything, and we need to be generous still in these times to people outside the walls and hopefully inside our walls as well. A special thank you to those when it comes to uh, weekly giving, those who have signed up online at our website, thechapel.tv, or through our app. Uh, We appreciate that. Those who want to still give to the church and you're wondering, how can you do that? Well, our doors are open still, 9 to 5, Monday through Friday at our Sandusky campus. Make sure to come uh, and see us then. If you want to mail a check into uh, the office, whatever you want to do, we just want to say thank you for supporting the church. We really believe the best is ahead. Even though we can't see it now, we trust God. And I'm glad to do that with you today. So let's pray together before we jump into our message series. Father, we lift all of these things up to you. First of all, Lord, I pray for those affected by the coronavirus, how scared they must be, especially those who are um, older. Lord, I just pray to give them your peace 
and your confidence, God, that you are on the throne. And give us wisdom as a church. How do we handle this in, in a way that protects people but also points people to you, God? What a great opportunity that we have to put our trust in you like never before. And for those who are like me, who can fear at times, Lord, would you go into their hearts and give them peace, give them joy, give them confidence that you too are on the throne. Thank you for being our God, especially during these turbulent times, we pray in your name, amen. Well, if you're joining us for the first time at uh, the chapel, we have been in a message series that we've called uh, Jonah, looking at how the book of Jonah reflects God's unending mercy. And we've actually walked through the whole book of Jonah. And I want to recap that with you today because you may have forgotten. That's okay. Or if you're joining us, you, you don't know where we've been. And so I'm going to show you the bottom line truth. So just a, a statement to help us remember what's been happening uh, thus far in our series in Jonah. So join me on the screen here and looking at what, where we've been in the book of Jonah. For, so for the first week, uh, we said that God will do whatever it takes to bring us back to himself. Jonah, he went the other way. He went against what God wanted him to do. He ran all the way to Tarshish, or at least he tried to. But God is so kind and so unconditional that he would not let him get away. So he sent a storm. He sent people. He even sent a giant fish to show us that God will do whatever it takes to bring us back to him. And then Jonah chapter 2, we saw that sometimes you have to sink to finally surrender. Jonah, he goes overboard and he's starting to sink. He's literally about to die and God rescues him. And in the belly of the fish, he realizes, holy smokes, I almost died. And he calls out to God. And I love that picture. It's never too late for any of us to call out to God. And sometimes we have to sink to fully surrender our lives to God, just like Jonah does. Chapter 3, we see Jonah, the most dangerous risks can lead to the greatest Rewards Jonah, he finally goes to Nineveh and he is risking his life to tell these dangerous Ninevites that God is displeased with them. And what do they do? They actually repent. They actually turn to God. It's a miracle. From the least to the greatest, the king himself declares that God is on the throne. And when we see Jonah risking his life, we see the greatest reward that some people will turn to God, even the people you don't even think will. That's why the greatest risks lead to the greatest rewards. And then finally, Jonah 4, which we studied last week. We need to give to others what God has given to us. Jonah, he does not like the Ninevites. In fact, if I can just be honest, Jonah is a racist. I don't say that lightly. Jonah likes his people, the Israelites, but he doesn't like the Ninevites. He thinks he's better than them. And while God showed Israel kindness and grace, shouldn't the Ninevites receive that too? And God taught Jonah a huge lesson here that we must give to others what God has given to us. Even if we don't like them, even if we disagree, we should want other people to be blessed just like God has blessed us. The end, right? Well, it is, at least in the book of Jonah. 
However, when we fast forward to the New Testament, we see that the book of Jonah uh, finds a, what we call an epilogue. Now, we remember in literature, an epilogue is a conclusion to the story. And no, we don't get a, a conclusion in Jonah 4 because we don't know what happens to Jonah. But we do see in Jesus' words a conclusion in his own mind. And we see that in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 through 41. So if you have your Bibles with you at home, take them out. If you have your phones, uh, go to our YouVersion app, go to the Chapel app, uh, whatever you find comfortable. I'm going to read this passage to you in Matthew chapter 12, and uh, I encourage you to follow along. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 through 41. The word of the Lord says, One day, some teachers of the religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. But Jesus replied, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a, miracle, a miraculous sign. Excuse me. But the only sign I will give to them is a sign of the prophet of who? Jonah. Jonah shows up again. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it, for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. And then Jesus says so beautifully, Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. A lot to unpack uh, in these four verses. So I want to take them two at a time to see what Jesus is saying. First, the first two, uh, he, he says, remember one day some teachers of the religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. And then Jesus, he's, he's not really happy with that question. So he says, wait a minute here. Only an adulterous, evil generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Here's Jesus, and he's listening to the religious leaders of the day, and somehow the religious leaders of the day want to demand a sign from Jesus, as if Jesus has to provide that. But the greatest part is these religious leaders, they've been following Jesus alongside of his journey so far. They should have seen all the way up until now the signs that Jesus has given to show that Jesus is truly from God. For instance, if you just back up a little bit in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we see a sign that Jesus heals a man with leprosy. Or he heals Peter, one of his disciples' mother-in-law. Or we see in Matthew 9, he heals a paralyzed man. Or he heals two demon-possessed men. Or then he heals a man with a deformed hand. You could go on and on and on. Jesus has, had, has done enough to show these signs that he truly is from God, that he truly is the Messiah. So what's going on here? Why are the Pharisees, why are the religious leaders demanding a sign? Well, they're not. They're not truly wanting a sign from Jesus. What they truly want to do at that moment is try to control Jesus, to try to make Jesus into who they want him to be. 
They don't want Jesus to have full reign. They want to control Jesus because they're the religious leaders of the day. They want to be the ones to show that they're in charge, not Jesus. It's funny, when I started to reflect on this story, it was easy for me to be like, man, what is wrong with these religious leaders? Why do they have to ask Jesus to prove something to them in order for Jesus to be Jesus? And I judged them, but then I thought to myself, how often do I do that in my life as well? And maybe you do. And the thing is, we don't do this consciously. We do this subconsciously. Whether you've followed Jesus for a few months of your life or you've been following Jesus since you've been a child, it is so easy for us to ask Jesus to prove something to us. For instance, have you ever prayed and said, God, give me a sign? What if he doesn't? Are you still going to trust him? There have been times in my life, even with the coronavirus that's going on, I may think to myself, God, if you don't stop this, then I'm not going to trust you. That's demanding of Jesus, just like the Pharisees did. Or, hey, Jesus, if I don't get my way, or if I don't have what my friends or family have, or whatever it is, then I'm going to question if you're good, or question if I can trust you. You see, all of us, if we're not careful, can want to put God in a box, can want to control God, want God to do for us what we want him to do, rather than just letting Jesus be Jesus and letting him be in control. So my question, before we go on to see how Jesus is the greater Jonah, my question to you today is this. Are you controlling God? Or are you trusting him? When it comes to your life with God, is he having to show you something so you believe in him? Or is Jesus just saying, look, I'm on the throne. I'm in control. All I want for you is to surrender to me, to trust me. See, the Pharisees, they never did that. And they were the most religious people around. They thought they were close to God, but Jesus literally said, your hearts are dead when it comes to a relationship with God. I don't want to control God and think I'm close to God. We can't do that. The only way that you and I can be close to God in the way that he wants us to be close to him is to trust him, is to surrender to him, is to let go and let God be God of our lives. Because Jesus says, if we do that, he in fact will give us a sign. But it's not the sign that you and I are thinking, and it's definitely not the sign that the Pharisees are thinking. He says it's a sign of Jonah. Here's what he says, Matthew chapter 12. Verse 40 says, For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and for three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it, for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. But now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. So if I had to give one bottom line truth for this message, I'm just going to quote Jesus. That Jesus is the greater Jonah. Now, If you're like me and you're familiar with the Bible and you're familiar with Jonah's story, you're like, yeah, of course he is. So I want to explore for the next few moments 
why does Jesus say this? And what does it truly mean for us today? How does it change our lives if it's true that Jesus is the greater Jonah? I remember uh, being in high school. I was a senior at Perkins High School. And I remember that I pushed off one class to the very last year of my high school career. It was not gym. I was a gym all-star. I didn't make the team in any other sport, so I had to go hard in gym, of course. But the class that I did not like, that I was not good at, was art. I loathed art. So when I was a senior at Perkins, I finally had to take the class, and I did not take it serious. In fact, one time, our teacher standing up and said, hey, your new assignment is that you have to sketch a famous person. Well, the people in my class, they, they were taking this serious. A lot of them were. The guys, they, they picked their favorite athlete. Do you know who I picked? Kevin from Backstreet Boys. That's right. I picked a Backstreet Boy. And when I did, of course, everyone was laughing in the class. And I did that on purpose because I was a jokester in high school. And then I figured out, holy smokes, I actually had to sketch Kevin from the Backstreet Boys. So I started to do that. And I had charcoal, and I was starting to sketch. And I looked down at my paper, and if I were to hold it up, and I were to compare it to my three-year-old Eden's paper in preschool, you would not be able to tell a difference. It was awful. It was so awful that when my teacher would come over, she had uh, pity on me, and she would sit down, and she would help sketch what I thought would, uh, it would look like. She saw the picture and saw what I was doing and said, no, 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 no. So she sat down and helped me. And for the next few weeks when I worked on this project, that's exactly what would happen. I would mess it up, and it would look like a horrible stick figure. And then she would come over, and it would start to look like a masterpiece. Well, wouldn't you know it? I played a practical joke on myself and I was the one on the receiving end because guess what happened? My teacher and then the other teachers liked it so much that they put my sketch of Kevin from the Backstreet Boys in the Perkins Art Show. So here I am, I have to tell my parents that I'm in the Perkins Art Show. We have to go, my name is next to this picture and it says Eric Sr., Kevin from the Backstreet Boy on this sketch. I was mortified, but I'm not going to lie, I was a little proud too. Like, here I am, finally doing something well in art, and, well, it was Kevin from the Backstreet Boys. I tell you that because here I am, and I'm trying really, really hard to, to do this masterpiece, but I'll tell you, when you would come over, all you would see is a rough and incomplete sketch of what it should look like. And if it wasn't for my teacher to come over and sit down and say, hey, Eric, I know what you're trying to do, but I'm going to make it a masterpiece, then, of course, I never would have been in the art show. People would have never even knew it was Kevin from the Backstreet Boys. The same thing is true with Jonah and Jesus. Jonah set out to do some great things, and in the end, truly, he was a selfish person who only cared about himself. What he was trying to do was a rough and incomplete sketch of what God was asking him to do. And here comes Jesus. Jesus, the masterpiece. Jesus, looking back at Jonah and saying, I know you were trying to do this, but you fell so short. And now I'm going to do this to show you that I am the greater Jonah. 
And friends, I want to tell you that Jesus takes the rough, incomplete sketch and makes it a masterpiece. It doesn't just change those who are listening to him. It changes our lives as well. So for the next few moments, I just want to go back in the book of Jonah. And I want to look just at a few times where Jonah tries, but he fails. And how Jesus, when he tries, he succeeds. He's the masterpiece. So look with me at a few of these examples. Jonah runs from God's call. So in Jonah 1 verse 3, here's Jonah. He's called to go to Nineveh and he runs as far away from the Ninevites as he can. Well, Jesus, Jesus runs in to God's call. The message version of John 1.14 says Jesus moved into the neighborhood. What I love about that is here are God's people, they're lost, and they need someone to tell them about eternal life. Jonah's people were lost, and he ran away. Jesus literally makes his home among us. All the diseases back then, Jesus doesn't put himself in a bubble. He allows himself to be in the midst of those, people's weaknesses, people's suffering. He suffered himself because he wanted to be with us. He's the greater Jonah. Jonah 3, verse 4, we see Jonah preaches condemnation only. Now, it is true that when God says, Jonah, go preach my judgment, that's exactly what Jonah does. He explains that, listen, if you don't do something about your life, then God is going to wreak havoc on you. And while it's true that he gets a C performance, I'll tell you, as an Israelite, he knows better. How could he not explain, listen, if you don't change, something bad's going to happen, but I want to tell you more about this God. This God doesn't, isn't just a God of justice. He's a God of love. He's a God of grace. He's a God that unites himself to his people covenantially. How incredible is that? But Jonah leaves that out. But Jesus? Jesus preaches both truth and grace. He's the full measure. When he says he's the full measure of truth and grace, what it means is he has come to reveal all of God to us. While he moves into the neighborhood, he wants to make sure to share that there is truth, that there is a reality out there, that God uh, loves us and he wants us to give our lives to him. And sometimes the truth hurts because when we look at our own lives, we think, man, we fall short. We have so much wrong with us. Our lives look nothing like Jesus. And that's why he gives not just truth and beats it over our heads. He also gives the full measure of grace that says, even though you will fall short, God will do whatever it takes to have a relationship with you. He moves into the neighborhood to do that. And we're going to see in a little while, he'll even do more than that to have a relationship with us. He's all full of truth. He will tell you how it is. He's full of love and grace. He will wrap his arms around you and show you how much he loves you as well. He's the greater Jonah. Jonah, in chapter four, verse two, Jonah wants to see his enemies destroyed again. He can't wait till after he uh, preaches this condemnation upon the Ninevites. He wants to sit back and see a fireworks show. He wants to see them suffer because he only looks out for himself and his people. He doesn't care about those who are different. He doesn't care about those who are his enemies. He doesn't care about those who've hurt 
other people. He doesn't think they deserve a second chance. But Jesus, Jesus wants to forgive and bless his enemies. This is a hard thing for us, especially as Americans, to really understand. Jesus literally says, I don't want you to be nice to your enemies. That's too easy. He wants us to bless our enemies, those who have done wrong against us. We want to hold our hands out. We want them to get repaid back. We want them to receive karma, right? Jesus is saying, listen, not only should you be kind, you should bless them. You should go out of your way to show how kind God has been to you. And here's the thing that I can't fathom. Jesus lives this out so well. When he's on the cross and he's about to die, he doesn't say to his father, Father, I want them to die as well. Make sure they really get it when I'm gone. What does Jesus say? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus wants us to forgive our enemies, to bless our enemies just the way that he does from the cross. Jonah doesn't do that. That's why Jesus, he's the better Jonah. And finally, Jonah is selfish. If you had to use one word to describe the book of Jonah, I don't know any better word to describe Jonah than selfish. But Jesus, he's selfless. If you looked at the Gospels, I don't know any better word to describe Jesus than selfless. He gave up himself for all of his people. Philippians 2, one of my favorite verses, it's, it's very convicting. It literally says, Jesus gave up himself for the sake of other people. He didn't care about himself. In this verse, John 10, 11, he describes himself as the good shepherd. That he would lay down his life for those whom he loves. Jesus, he's the greater Jonah. These four examples are amazing and they're critical to show us that Jesus is the greater Jonah, but it pales in comparison to what really is happening in this passage. Jesus tells us what the ultimate sign of being the greater Jonah is. Again, verse 40. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Here's Jonah. He's so selfish that he has to get on a boat and he goes the other way. God has to bring in a storm to wake him up. When he finally wakes up, he just wants to die. So he wants to be thrown overboard so the storm stops. And he's thrown overboard. And you know what happens? God gives Jonah a whale to save his life. He literally is about to drown underneath the waves. And God shows mercy to Jonah, even though he's selfish, to save his life. When I look at verse 40, this is incredible. And I'm grateful for Jonah that God would show his grace and mercy to save him. But friends, 
this pales in comparison to what Jesus has done for us. Because God gives us Jesus to save our lives. When we're in the same waters as Jonah and we deserve to die, Jesus gets in the water with us as well. And when he gets in the water, the storm stops. He rescues us from our impending death. Tim Keller, uh, who's just a famous author and and one of my favorite uh, writers that I, I love to just look at, he says this about what Jesus does for us. He says, the moment Jonah went underwater, the storm switched off as suddenly as a light being turned off. The anger of the storm was a real expression of the anger of God toward his rebellious prophet, which was turned aside when Jesus was cast into the waves. In the same way, Christ dealt with the wrath of God on sin and evil by standing in our place and bearing the punishment we deserve. When Jesus is on the cross, it's the epitome of him being under the waves, rescuing us from this storm, rescuing us from the impending wrath of God that would be poured out onto us because of our sin, because of our shame, because of our past, because of what we've done. Somebody has to pay for that. And Jesus, when he gets on the cross, the storm stops. The waters, they, they are stilled. It's Jesus who forgives us and takes on all of that so we can have a right standing relationship with God. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful that God could be upset at us for what we've done, but Jesus says, I'll take it for Eric, I'll take it for you, I'll take it so that the storm will subside and they can live and don't have to drown in their life. I'm so grateful for that. And when you carry on the picture that he's the greater Jonah, just as Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so too does Jesus spend that amount of time in the grave. But you know what's incredible? After a while, I think the great fish is like, look, I need to get this person out of me. He spits them out. Enough's enough. Well, Jesus, the grave couldn't hold him anymore. Jesus said, enough's enough. And the grave spits him out as well. And three days later, because of what Jesus has done for us, we can have eternal life. We get everything forgiven. It stays at the bottom of the ocean. It stays in the grave. No more storms, no more drowning. He gives us new life, a life here and a life for eternity. How incredible is that, that Jesus is the ultimate Jonah, that he saves us, that he'll do anything for us. It's truly incredible. So how I want to end our time together is the way that Jesus ends this passage. Because let me tell you, it means nothing if Jesus was, was on the cross and then buried and then rose again all within those three days. That means nothing if we don't do something about it. And Jesus says the same thing to these religious leaders. He says, look, 
The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it. For they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here. And this is key. But you refuse to repent. That word repent. Sadly, we, we've hijacked that word to mean something that it's not. The word repent literally means to do a 180. To recognize I've been making a mess of my life and I've been hurting other people. I've been hurting God and I want to go the other direction. I want to believe what God has done for me on the cross and what he's buried in the ground and then rose again three days later. I want that. And so I want to turn my life to God. That's what that word repent means. And what's interesting is that for the Ninevites, you would probably tell me, if I were to say, hey, who's a better group of people, the Ninevites or the Pharisees? you and I would probably agree upon saying, well, of course it's the Pharisees. I mean, the Ninevites, they killed people. They enslaved people. They were awful human beings. And here are the Pharisees. Man, they were incredibly knowledgeable with the scriptures. They prayed. They knew everything about God. I mean, they were the people that you would go to if you had a question about God. They were the religious people of the day. Who's more, who's better, I should say? The Ninevites. Because they repented. They understood that what they've done is wrong and they turned their lives to God. Where the Pharisees, they said, you know what? I want to control Jesus. I don't need to trust him. And they never recognized the selfishness in their lives and they continued to live that way. You see, God's standard is different It's not morality. God's standard is a repentant heart. The Ninevites, they turned their lives over to God and they were blessed for that. And the Pharisees weren't. So my question to you as we wrap up, what are you going to do with what Jesus has done for you? It doesn't matter what you've done. I have a feeling you're probably a little bit better than the Ninevites. You could turn to God, though, and he will receive you as you are. But if not, you want to keep going on, God's loving enough to let you do that. But don't make that mistake. Don't deny what Jesus has done for you, because he is the greater Jonah and has done whatever it takes to have that relationship with you. Let's pray together. So, Father, we, we give our lives to you. I just pray for those who who are watching today that they would make that same choice as the Ninevites. That they, they recognize that I've done things that I shouldn't, but Jesus has done whatever it takes to have a relationship with me. Help us, Lord, not to be so prideful and so arrogant, so selfish that we control you rather than trust you. Help us to know as we move forward that you truly are the greater Jonah. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day.